Thanksgiving is a time that we gather together to just reflect upon the benefits and blessings the Lord has bestowed upon us. And it's also a time where we rejoice together in family and friends, um, just in the goodness of our God. In many of the Psalms, we have Psalms that were designated as Thanksgiving Psalms, and Psalm 92 fits into that category. And in fact, uh, the beginning of Psalm 92 is what we had as a memory verse or portion for the month of November. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Without a doubt, uh, Thanksgiving is a Christian reality. Thanksgiving is something characteristic of the people of God. And Thanksgiving is something that the non-believer is devoid of. That's why Paul, when he spoke about the indictment that God has against mankind, stated in the book of Romans in the first chapter, the real critical sin is that although they knew him as God, They didn't honor him as God, nor were they thankful. The lack of thanksgiving as a creature to his or her creator is the greatest of all sins. And in this psalm, we have a reflection of thanksgiving that is being given by an unknown psalmist, by an unknown human author. And in this, it really is a flow of thought from Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 into Psalm 92. In Psalm 90, that song of Moses, we find stated for us that life goes by like a vapor. It's transitory. And the only place of refuge and security is in the Lord. And that concept of God being the place of refuge and security for his people, is encouraged or reflected in Psalm 91. And the individual who puts his trust and his confidence in the Lord, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And in Psalm 92, the reality of God watching over, God protecting, God keeping secure, All of those who put their trust in him is a cause for worship and thanksgiving. It is good, he says, to give thanks to Yahweh, all capital letters. If we look at this song, it is a thank psalm. It is one of the subdivisions of a praise song that we have. And we also notice it says it is a song for when? The Sabbath. Now there would be gatherings that would take place among some of the Jewish households, but it wasn't a time where they would necessarily all go up to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, It would certainly be a time in an individual household where individuals would have a cessation from their normal activity. And here is a song that was written, therefore to be learned and also to be sung. And if you uh, do any of the studies in the Psalms, you will find the Jews designated different Psalms for the different days of the week. But this one has God's imprint on it, doesn't it? 
because when it says a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day, that's really verse 1 in the song itself. And it is the uh, superscription that provides the occasion for which it is to be used. And basically, as we look at this song, it was something that would be learned, it is something that would be sung on each Saturday, on each Sabbath, and in doing so, it would communicate wisdom or information that would be beneficial for the individual worshiper to understand and reflect. In this song, the concentration is really that it is joyful thanksgiving and praise is appropriate from the saints to the Lord. It is good. Now, we can think of the idea of good meaning wholesome or beneficial, and it obviously has that idea with it. But the other aspect of it is it means something that is appropriate. Just like sometimes when we think of individuals and uh, somebody does an act of kindness to another individual, and you might say something to the effect, it was good that you did that for them. It's the idea this was what was appropriate. It obviously had a beneficial uh, uh, aspect to it for the individual, but what is really emphasized here is, do you know what's appropriate for you to do? It is to, number one, give thanks to the Lord. Number two, to sing praises to his name. And number three, you'll notice another infinitive, to declare his chesed, his loving kindness in the morning, and his faithfulness at night. So what is appropriate for you to do as a child of God? Three things. Be a thankful person, giving thanks to the personal God who called you out of darkness into his light. Notice the parallel thought, but a change of emphasis. For the first statement is, it's good to give thanks to Yahweh. But then he says, and to sing praises, notice how personal it is, to your name, O Most High, addressing God himself. And praise should be an expression of the gratitude and the thanksgiving of our heart to the Lord. And with that, to declare or to publish chesed and faithfulness, parallel synonyms, as we discussed in our first uh, hour this morning. The idea of God's faithfulness, and when it says to do it in the morning and the evening, what is basically being emphasized is the fact that characteristically God's people are impressed with, overwhelmed with, are amazed at the loyal love and covenant faithfulness that God graciously bestows on them each and every day. From morning to evening, your life is to be one of gratefully giving God glory for the privilege of being one of his children and of having that relationship with him. And so with that, as we sing and make praise known to the Lord, you'll notice he says in verse 4, the reason why this expression of praise is to be given, because you, O Lord, have made me what? Glad. There is joy that the people of God have in what God has done. And the first aspect of God giving gladness to his people, which is really one of the works of his hands, is the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. 
the burden of sin. How many of your sins, if you are a child of God, will God hold against you? None. Your sins and your lawless deeds I'll remember against you no more. And part of that, or the basis of that, better to state it, the basis of that is the fact that the one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In addition to the blessing of God's salvation, what else do we have? That God does not withhold any good thing to those who love him. And everything that you have has come from his hand. It is the work of God in the affairs of life. And therefore, as God's people, as we get up in the morning, we go through the day and we come to the conclusion of the day, we need to reflect upon the fact that this day given to us by God has been grace upon grace upon grace. Because God is always faithful to his people and fulfilling the promises that he's made. So in verses 5 through 6, he says that the works of God come from his wisdom, his thoughts, his understanding, right? How great are your works, O Lord? Your thoughts are very deep. But what's man's problem? People are ignorant of it. And they willfully ignore it. The senseless man, the stupid man, has no knowledge of just how great is God and his involvement in the affairs of life. And with that, a failure to understand why do we see some of the things happening in our own day, in our own generation? It seems like the wicked are prospering and things are going um, different than what we would anticipate. Uh, the reality is God has them sprout out to show what they're really like, but with the full intended purpose that he'll execute judgment upon them. You know, he is the God who's in control of all things, and man takes no thought in the fact, you know, he thinks he's autonomous, he's doing whatever he wants, and we see the display of evil and wickedness, and it seems like that has the upper hand, but the reality is that God has so worked, as he says in the end of verse 7, that they might be destroyed forevermore. But in contrast to a display of transitory wickedness on the part of individuals who um, live a life separated from God, what remains forever? Our God. And so he says, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. Not only does God exist forever, but from generation to generation, his rule is still in place and his enemies will perish and all who do iniquity will be the brunt of God's judgment. But in verses 10 through 15, there is the recognition of God's goodness and God's kindness to his people. The psalmist first expresses the fact that God is the one that has strengthened him and empowered him. He is the one that has exalted his horn, the horn speaking of power. He is the one that has anointed him with oil, that has given him the place of blessing to uh, serve the Lord, and because of that, he has the confidence of knowing that he will look with triumph over his foes. God is the one that will take his people and lead them in the victory, if we bring it into New Testament terminology, into the victory that we have in Christ. 
And the psalmist realized that what God did for him was not something unique just for him alone, but something that's true for what God does for all of the righteous. And that's why he says in verse 12 and following, the righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. Where do we find the palms? Well, we find them uh, in the south, don't we? And they don't do so well up north. We find them in dry, arid areas. They have a long, deep taproot that goes down to find the water. And a palm tree, figuratively, looks at something that uh, bears fruit, you know, be it the coconut palm, be it the date palm, even in times when other trees are not bearing fruit. It is also something that's looked upon as being stately and majestic. And so he says, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. It's going to be bearing its fruit. It'll also grow like the cedar in Lebanon. And here are these mighty trees that were known for their great strength and height. Uh, they are a display of power and fortitude and stability. Sounds almost like Psalm 1, doesn't it? That the righteous man will be like the tree that is firmly rooted into the springs of water. Uh, its leaf doesn't wither. It bears fruit in its season. And so these... In- Trees are pictures of the righteous where they flourish in the presence of God, in the courts of God, in the house of the Lord. And even when they get old, what are they going to still be doing? Bearing fruit to God's glory. They will still yield fruit in their old age. They'll be full of sap and very green. And for what reason is God so blessing his people? That his people, whether it be in youthfulness or in old age, can declare, God is upright. He's righteous. All of his ways are just. And there is no sin, iniquity, or unrighteousness in him. So what do we learn from this psalm? God's people are to be a people who offer praise and thanksgiving to God because of all of the great works that he continually performs on behalf of his people. And there should be a joy unspeakable that is characteristic of the children of God, even in times of great difficulty, times of turmoil, times when we don't really understand and we see the wicked sprouting up, that we need to remember, oh, God's giving them a big stage. For what purpose? that he might destroy them forevermore and his just judgment will fall upon the workers of iniquity. But at the same time, he is moving to preserve, protect, to strengthen, to watch over his people. So dear brother and sister in Christ, you know what's appropriate for us? It's to give thanks to the Lord. You know what's appropriate for us? It is to sing praises to the name of the Most High God and to declare his chesed, the fact that he is always faithful to the integrity of his person and the promises that he has made to his people. No wonder the psalmist says, you've made me glad by what you've done. Father, we just thank you for your truth and the rich blessing that is ours to know you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we acknowledge, O Lord, that we do love you. And the reason we love you 
is because you first loved us. We thank you especially for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.